Once there was a little girl who was watching her mother prepare a snack for the two of them. And she asked her mother, Mom, what does God do all day long? And for a little while, her mother was stumped. Never heard that question before. She thought about it. And then she said, Well, sweetheart, let me tell you what God does all day long. He spends his whole day mending broken things. Isn't that the message of Christmas? Mending what's broken. Mending what's broken in our world. Mending what's broken in our lives. Christmas is God mending broken things. And the instrument that he uses for this mending is nothing other than a vicious Roman cross. And so our Advent reading this morning, near the cross... Of Jesus. It's a most un Christmas like text, isn't it? John 19 25, near the cross of Jesus. The cross? That's Easter. Let's talk about a cradle. Let's not talk about Jerusalem. Let's talk about Bethlehem. And yet, wouldn't you agree with me if I said that Christmas has a destination and the destination is the cross? Christmas is about a journey, a journey to the cross. Christmas is about God leaving his throne, entering through a manger in Bethlehem, culminating by hanging suspended between heaven and earth on a vicious Roman cross. Yes, this is the right text. Because Christmas, properly understood, always leads to the cross, where Jesus is. Near the cross of Jesus. Christmas is about God going to great extremes to bring people who are far away from Him back into a relationship with Him. Yes, you turn to the right passage of Scripture, all right. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. God has been using this amazing life of Mary, and we've been looking at her life in our Advent readings this season. And we've seen her as nothing less than the faithful servant that she told the Lord that she would be, that when the angel Gabriel announced this miraculous birth, she responded by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now this talk about being a servant, that's what you would expect to hear in a church. I like the idea of being a servant. It's noble. It's dignified. I like the servant stuff. Until I'm treated like a servant. Until I'm talked about like a servant. 
until I have to be patient like a servant, until I'm criticized like a servant, until I'm snubbed and ignored like a servant. And yet all of Mary's life, she embraced this vocation, this calling of servanthood. She accepted God's calling on her to be the mother of the Messiah, even when that meant it would be in his will to bear this child out of wedlock, even when that meant being talked about in that small village of Nazareth, whose population was certainly no larger than the size of our church. But she obeyed, and she went, and she, she took the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem when it was time for her to give birth, and she was faithful. She faithfully journeyed, faithfully served, and, and she gave birth to the king of creation there in a place where animals would stay. And then she faithfully fled when Herod sent his soldiers to massacre the babies in Bethlehem. She was faithful at the beginning of Christ's life. She was faithful all throughout Christ's life. And here in John chapter 19, she's faithful near the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Mary saw what no mother should ever have to see, the death of her son. And that would be bad enough if she had been in a hospital at the critical care unit watching her son waste away of cancer. It would be bad enough if her son had showed up in an emergency room, killed in an accident. But no, here near the cross, this very public place, her son, her innocent son, a victim of injustice, hangs suspended between heaven and earth. And there she is, faithful to the very end. I want us to consider the faithfulness of Mary this morning as we conclude our Advent series on her life Verse 25 says that four women stood near the cross. Let's count them in verse 25. There's Mary. There's Mary's sister. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas. And there's Mary Magdalene. There they are. You see the four? It's as if John is taking a picture of, of these four women at the foot of the cross, but he also wants us to see another quartet in this scene. The four soldiers in verse 23. You've got Mary and these three other women. You've got the four women, and then you've got the four soldiers. And John wants us to see the difference between the two. John wants us to see that while these four women are grieving, four soldiers are gambling. John wants us to see that while these four women are reeling in grief over the death of Jesus, these four soldiers are rolling the dice for his clothes. It didn't matter to these soldiers that a dying man was hanging there 
life leaking out of him in a torturous, deplorable way, suffering a death for slaves, a death for traitors of the empire. It didn't matter to them about that. And it didn't matter to them that the dying man's mother was right there in their very presence. And it didn't matter to them that they were gambling for what was probably the very robe that Mary herself had made for her son. It did not matter to them at all. No. Nonetheless, Mary faithfully stood near the cross of Jesus, stood his mother. The soldiers are indifferent to him. The people ridicule him. The thieves insult him. The priests make fun of him. But Mary stood near him. And there's no fainting. There's no wild outcry of uncontrollable grief. There's no hysterical sobbing that's going on. Uh, She doesn't look away. She doesn't collapse in grief. We don't even hear her speak a word. All we know is that she stood. You know, sometimes standing in silence is the best form of faithfulness. And Mary's faithfulness is all the more evident when we consider this question. Where were the male disciples? We see the four women, we see the soldiers, but what about the male disciples? Oh, we know, don't we? Don't we? Matthew 26, 56 tells us. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. They fled, she stayed. They went AWOL. She wept openly there. And Mary helps us define the meaning of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is trusting that God is good even in the face of all that's bad. Faithfulness is staying when everybody else is fleeing for the sake of Christ. Faithfulness is the hope that no matter what I feel, no matter what happens, God will work this out in ways that I can't figure out now because God is good and he is faithful. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Those three Hebrew young men who had been ripped out of their culture and planted into the foreign culture of Babylon. They were dressed in Babylonian clothes. They had Babylonian attire. And when King Nebuchadnezzar forced them to worship his Babylonian idols, they drew a line in the sand and they were faithful. And, and they said, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to explain ourselves. We don't, we don't have to justify ourselves. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now that's faithfulness. Faithfulness is, we are, sometimes faithfulness will cost you your life. Faithfulness is Esther saying, if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. 
Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament gives us this catalog of faithful heroes and heroines, and it's an inspirational, spurring-on section of Scripture where the Hebrew writer tells us about those who, through faith, conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised and who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of flames. I want to be in that group. Then the Hebrew writer tells us in 1135, women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Sometimes faithfulness leads to that. And so Mary was there. You ever heard of a pastor named Bishop Festo? Bishop Festo. He had been called the Billy Graham of Africa. And in the 1970s, he was a leader in the Anglican church in the country of Uganda when Idi Amin was president and tyrant and dictator of his eight-year murderous reign. We really don't know how many people he murdered, exterminated, Uh, The lowest that we know of is about 100,000. Estimates are as high as 500,000. Bishop Festo stayed. And Bishop Festo was light in that very dark country. And Bishop Festo wrote a book that I read in high school I still have it. It's called, I Love Edie Amin. I Love Edie Amin. You know, I don't know of any pastor in the United States in the years following 9-11 who wrote a book titled, I Love Osama Bin Laden. Hmm. Well, that wouldn't have been an American, would it? But what else, does Jesus, what else does Jesus mean when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Listen to Bishop Festo's own words about his faithfulness. He said, my hardness and bitterness toward those who were persecuting us could only bring spiritual loss. This would take away my ability to communicate the love of God, which is the essence of my ministry and my testimony. So I had to ask forgiveness from the Lord. He had to ask forgiveness from the Lord. He didn't say, I mean, once he asked for forgiveness, then maybe I'll think about it. I had to ask forgiveness from the Lord and for grace to love President Amin more. This was fresh air for my tired soul. I knew I had seen the Lord and had been released. Love filled my heart. That is faithfulness. Bishop Festo would later write, faithfulness is God moving in love to meet violent men and women. Faithfulness is God on the cross facing violence and suffering for us. Your faith was born in violence. 
The Christian is not scared when the whole world is shaking. Your faith was born on Calvary, on the cross. It can stand anything. It's an all-weather faith. Don't think that you can only be a Christian when everything's smooth. Christians shine better when everything is just the opposite. Your faith was born in the blood and sweat and the loneliness of the cross. You can stand any test when you stand near the cross. And that's where Mary stood. And that is when she experienced a faithfulness which I don't think she expected to experience. Here she was in her own faithfulness standing near the cross, but then she received this unexpected gift of Christ's own faithfulness to her from the cross. Oh, yes. John chapter 19, verse 26 says, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's the apostle John, Jesus breaks the silence. He said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Literally, woman, behold your son. And then he turns to the Apostle John. Behold, your mother. Why did he do this? It's because he was displaying faithfulness to Mary. What do you mean? Well, Jesus is answering a question which Mary hadn't even thought to ask. A very simple logistical question. Here she's so caught up in the drama of her son dying. She hasn't even thought of the question, where am I going to go home tonight? Who's going to care for me after this? Someone needed to care for her. What about Joseph, her husband? He's dead. He's been long gone. What about the other siblings? She and Joseph had other children. Yeah, but none of them, at least at the time of the cross, were believers. And so from the cross, Christ offers his final wishes. In fact, he's using um, semi-legal testamentary language. That's what this is. He is verbally stating his last will and testament concerning his mother. John, care for her. Think about it. While writhing in pain and agony from the cross, Jesus honors Mary by seeing to her welfare That is the faithfulness of his love for her. Love ever stands with open hands, and while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative to give and give and give. And verse 27 says, from that time on, literally from that very hour, From that very hour, John took Mary into his home. From that very hour. That's an important phrase because it closes the loop on the several times in John's gospel when Jesus refers to his hour. His hour. We read about it first in John chapter 2, verse 4, at the wedding at Cana when they ran out of wine and Mary Frantically went up to Jesus and said, do something. And he said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet 
come. But from that very hour, he took care of her. Christ gave the care of Mary to John because the hour had come, you see. You see, Jesus' faithfulness extends to this life too. Christianity is not this pie in the sky, by and by faith. Christ cares about the stuff of this life. He cares about the stuff of your life. He cares about the things that we may not think he cares about at all. And this is why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Jesus cared for Mary by giving her a new son and John a new mother. In the community of God's family, isn't that what we are? Oh, please don't tell me we're just a, an audience of individuals here. No, no, no. I've not done a very good job if that's what we're thinking. We're a community. We're in the family of God. And so in Christ, we are mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers. Christ's death on the cross gives birth to a new kind of love, a new quality of love of which the world has never seen. So don't be surprised if the closest people in your life are those in the family of God. Mine are. I love my family of birth and I live hundreds of miles away from them. But you're here. You're my flesh and blood family. Christ's faithfulness gets displayed through his family. And Christ will continue to be faithful to his mother through John. This faithful service and love. This is the trademark of the new community. When you come to the cross, you don't get a attaboy just for being there. Somehow John, who had first fled, made his way back to the cross. So we don't hear Jesus saying, well, where have you been? Or why weren't you here earlier? Or why did you leave? In the... We don't hear any of that, do we? Why? Because that doesn't matter. What matters is John has returned. John is here. And what happens? When you return to the cross, you get a new assignment. You get a new responsibility. You get to be the faithfulness of Christ to someone else. What a gift. And how has all of this been brought about? Well, think about it. We've first talked about Mary's faithfulness to Jesus at the cross. And we've talked about Jesus' faithfulness to Mary from the cross. All of this has been brought about because of God's faithfulness to the world, through the cross. Through the cross. Verse 28 says, after Jesus had parted from his possessions and parted from his mother, the hour had come. He who had saved the best wine until last at that wedding in Cana, now thirst for this cheap, sour vinegar wine which he would sip not from an expensive chalice, but from an old mangy sponge. 
He who had quenched the spiritual thirst of others on the cross, his own thirst needed to be quenched. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Notice it says he gave up his spirit. The Romans did not take his life. Jesus gave it. It is finished, he said. What is finished? Everything, all things. Verse 28, knowing that all was now completed. The total work set by God the Father was so thoroughly completed and accomplished by Jesus that nothing has been left undone. And that church family is God's faithfulness to us. Later in his life, the Apostle John would write these words in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. How is it that Satan's conquered? By the blood of the Lamb. Every benefit you have comes by the blood of the Lamb. Do you find yourself accepted by a holy God? It's been brought to you by the blood of the Lamb. Have you received the Holy Spirit into your life? It's been brought to you by the blood of the Lamb. Do you have eternal life in glory and the promises of a new heaven and a new earth in new bodies? It's been brought to you by the blood of the Lamb. Are you a part of the fellowship of the saints, the family of God, brothers and sisters who love Christ? That's been brought to you by the blood of the Lamb. Are you allowed to go to God in prayer It's been brought to you by the blood of the Lamb. Do you have gifts and abilities and talents in which you can meet needs with love? How is that happening? It's because of the blood of the Lamb. Don't you get it? We overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb. Nothing more and nothing less. And that is how we win. And it's the only way way we win. It's the only ground upon which we stand before God. So stand. Stand near the cross. Listen, if you stand near the cross, it is finished. But if you drift from the cross, you are finished. You are defeated. You are done. We overcome the accuser. We overcome our consciences. We overcome our bad tempers. We overcome our anger. We overcome our defeats. We overcome our lusts. We overcome our fears. We overcome our lack of forgiveness. We overcome our pettiness by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus said to Mary in John 19, Woman, behold your son. And the gospel of John is saying to all of us, Behold the Son. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is our need this Christmas to look away from the world and look away from ourselves and to look by faith to the Savior who died for the world. Because church, there's life in that look. There's life in that look, in looking to Christ. We see his all-sufficient sacrifice. In looking to Christ, we see the love of the Father who sent his Son to do for us what we could never do ourselves. So... May I challenge us with words that a teacher in my seminary challenged me with. 
he said, how dare you approach the mercy seat of God on the basis of what kind of day you had, as if that were the basis of our entrance into heaven. No wonder we cannot defeat the devil. This is works theology. It has nothing to do with grace and the exclusive sufficiency of Christ. Nothing. Christ bore our sin. Satan is disarmed. We have no unforgiven sin in Christ. The God of this world is cast out of the courtroom. Our case is settled. Our judgment is passed. Our sins are forgiven. Our accuser has nothing in his folder. He has no say about our future whatsoever. We have passed from death to life by the cross and the blood of the Lamb. Church family, Merry Christmas.